La música es la lengua de todo el mundo. ¿Sí? I've tried to say music is the language of all the world. You don't need to know the words for it to speak to you. I'm so grateful for Bob and Roxanne. And I want to say thank you to, to so many of you who have reached out to help our Honduran family. Uh, we are so delighted to have you in our church. And to so many of you who are working to help them uh, be welcomed here and become part of our country and our church. So thank you to all of you. Bienvenidos. The Samaritans, what can we learn? The current website for the Israelite Samaritan Information Institute says the Israelite Samaritan community numbers around 760 souls, all resident in the Holy Land. Around 400 live in Israel and 360 on Mount Gerizim, Samaria. If you thought the Samaritans were just a biblical artifact, a people preserved in the history books, well, join the crowd. I didn't know there were any actual Samaritans living among us, but there is a sure pride in the telling of their history. That pride is evident in the words on their website, and though small in number, they believe that since the 1930s, the British mandate, they are growing with steady improvement in all areas of life. Who knew? What's also apparent from the Israelite Samaritan Information Institute is that the animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews manifests long before Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. Well, that enmity is still there. As they tell it, around the return, uh, uh, after the return from the Babylonian exile, Samaritans and Jews held different versions of the Torah. And the Jews later added a further 19 books into the original five books of Moses to produce their version of the Bible. I'm adding some emphasis there, but that emphasis is there. Further, in order to emphasize the differences between themselves and the Samaritans, the Jews supplanted the ancient Hebrew with their Aramaic. Yes, the enmity is old. It goes all the way back to the Assyrian conquest of the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, I'm sure you remember from our summer study that the Assyrians had threatened Israel for decades when King Shalmaneser V marched on the capital city in 721 BCE and conquered the nation. Reading this history can be a little confusing because the capital city of the northern kingdom was called Samaria. But that name is also given in various citations as the name of the greater region. It might even be confused for the whole northern kingdom of Israel itself. Samaria, a city and a place. Now, I know you also remember the Babylonian exile occurring about 150 years after the Assyrians came in, when Nebuchadnezzar overthrew Jerusalem and carried off the best and the brightest people to live for 70 years in a foreign land. While Shalmaneser of Assyria, while Shalmaneser's conquest is not referred to as the Assyrian exile, a similar expulsion of prominent Israelites also occurred when the Assyrians came in. And when those Jews were deported north, many of the invading Assyrians stayed in Israel. Other non-Jews migrated into that vacuum of people, and in the years that followed, these imported Gentiles, the Assyrians and other non-Jews, 
these imported Gentiles intermarried with the Jews who had remained in Israel. A mixed race, polluted breed of impure Jew called the Samaritans. They were born then. Real Jews never forgave them for that intermarriage. And by the time of Jesus, the region of Samaria and the Samaritans who lived there, that region between Galilee in the north and Judea in the south, that land and the people who occupied it had become despised by the Jews. Now it is said that Jews journeying to and from Jerusalem would walk miles out of their way to go around Samaria rather than to have their feet contaminated by Samaritan soil. And according to a commentator named Ed Vasichik, a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman was always considered unclean. This being the case, he notes that when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well or told the parable of the Good Samaritan, he was doing something very politically incorrect in his day. Two things are very clear from reading the Christian Testament about the Samaritans. The first is that the animosity was very real. In Luke's gospel, we read that when the days drew near, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him to prepare the way, and on their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans. But the Samaritans did not receive them, and when his disciples, James and John, those closest to Jesus, they should have known better. But James and John, when they saw it, they said to him, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? The animosity was real. But more important, the more important lesson is that Jesus would have nothing to do with their hatred. When his disciples suggested uh, raining fire down from heaven on the Samaritans, Luke says, but Jesus turned and rebuked them and just went on to the next town. He and his wife were among the faithful when we came to Park Road 22 years ago. They never missed a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. We arrived in October of 2000, and we awoke one morning 11 months later to watch 9-11 unfold before our eyes. Well, we'd been de- we have been dealing with the aftermath of that ever since. One Wednesday night, not long after 9-11, we were talking, trying to process. Our conversations were always frank and lively back then. And he opined loudly from the back of the room, those Muslims, well, to bomb all of them. There might have been a hint of his signature dry wit, but beneath those words, truth in jest. Amy cautiously, carefully reminded the room, but Jesus calls us to a different kind of response. Jesus says, love your enemies, and the lovable, lovable old curmudgeon never missed a beat. I know you got to say that. You're a preacher. I don't. Bomb them all. The sentiment of the disciples Even disciples of Jesus has always been with us. But the fact remains that Jesus calls us to a different way. It has always been difficult to practice, but Jesus showed us the way. It was a Samaritan woman that day at Jacob's well, 
a woman, you know, perennially, perennially unclean, who poignantly corrected Jesus and redirected his ministry. And in what may be Jesus' most often told parable, when the priest and the Levite, the leaders of the favored religion, when they pass by on the other side, it is a Samaritan, an outsider, one hated and despised because of racial and religious differences, a Samaritan who stoops to help. The outsider becomes the exemplar of faith. The more you know, about history, the more you realize that things that matter seem never to change. But Jesus is still calling us to a different way. Those made outsiders by our own arrogant fear, our own hard-hearted hatred, the immigrants, the Muslims, you know, the Democrats, the transgender people. They're all still here to show us how narrow is our vision and how broad is the love of God. Thank God for the Samaritans. May it be so. Amen. I love that my mother-in-law gives an extra gift when she gives any gift especially baby shower gifts. Most often the baby shower gift that she gives is one that she has sewn, a towel with a washcloth attached to it as a little hoodie for the infant. She finds a matching applique and sews that onto the towel. And with the gift, she tells the mother-to-be, do not write me a thank you note. When you think of writing me a note, she says, take a nap or rock your baby instead. I think that's the loveliest part of that gift. She knows they are grateful. She also knows that they are busy and swamped and overwhelmed and tired. And what a new mother needs most is rest or time with her baby. So the bonus gift is no thank you note. Some of you are cringing at the thought of this. I would like to encourage you to embrace this practice. Give a gift and say part of the gift is no note back to me. Ooh, some of you are not liking it. I really think that this is a lovely grace that my mother-in-law adds to her gift. The last few weeks, I've called the parables with which we have been faced doozies. Today's, gratefully, is pretty straightforward, or is it? All ten lepers were healed. All of them were healed, but only one was made well. The one the Samaritan one that returned to Jesus to say thank you, the one, the outsider one, went the extra mile and took the extra, the additional step to show gratitude. It's so easy to raise this one up, 
to keep a record of who sent the thank you note. Which isn't wrong to do, but let's at least be fair about it. The others were rushing to get to the priests as Jesus had told them to do. On the way to do to go to the priest, they were healed. Supposedly, they continued on to the priests and then likely on to reunite with their families and friends, very likely praising God and giving thanks all along the way. This one, this Samaritan one, who had been outside of the outsiders as a Samaritan, made his way back to Jesus first before heading to the priest because maybe he was extra grateful having known the hatred and the prejudice, having understood and experienced what it meant to be despised and rejected long before leprosy had been his fate. This one returned to say thank you, maybe because after having been healed, he knew he was still a Samaritan. He was just a Samaritan without leprosy. But he was still a Samaritan. Perhaps what Jesus meant by telling him that his faith had made him well was Jesus' way of saying that no matter what anyone else ever tells you, you are my beloved. You are well no matter what anybody else ever says to you, you are included and loved and welcomed and accepted by me. I can see now why he's the one that turned back to say thank you. Because it was about a whole lot more than being healed of leprosy. Think about all the people that need that good word. Think about all of the churches that offer a condemning and judgmental word for outsiders of every kind. And then think about all the churches that, while maybe not saying the condemning word, they remain silent, knowing that it's the silence of good people that rings most loudly in the ears of those who want to be accepted, included, and welcomed. Think about all the people that need to be made well. Softly and tenderly, Jesus was calling everyone home to a place of inclusion and love and acceptance and welcome. So I think this story isn't about lifting up the ones that say thank you for my guess is that all ten were grateful beyond measure. Could we let the nine others receive my mother-in-law's grace just a bit? This story is about inclusion and welcome beyond the material things. Our thanksgivings include emotions, joy even in the midst of sorrow, and happiness even when there is sadness and anxiety, and acts of kindness and goodness. In the response to the confession each week, we hear those words that we all long to hear and for which we are eternally thankful. You are loved. You are forgiven. So be at peace. 
Our gratitudes include the capacity for forgiveness and the recognition of the goodness of life for community in which we sing and pray with hearts that forgive as freely as you have forgiven, with enthusiasm of spirit for the gift of life, with music which declares your everlasting goodness, with prayers for mutual understanding and peace. But it's not all about me, and it is not all about you. It's a we, and it's an us. I'm perhaps most grateful that I do not travel this way alone. The way of Jesus is a high and holy calling that is very difficult, and I give thanks that we are all in this together. With creative pursuits which contribute our God-given talents, with words which honor you as creator, redeemer, and Holy Spirit, with time volunteered and dedicated to service in church and community, with years committed to extending the love of Jesus Christ. And so we conclude this litany that when we live in gratitude, when we practice gratitude, when we exercise those muscles of inclusion and giving thanks, there is a ripple, a contagious effect that spreads throughout the land with gifts of money which reach farther than we can manage ourselves, with deeds done in service of neighbor and stranger, with holy days set apart to celebrate your goodness and grace, with family and friends distant and nearby. We worship you, God, with grateful hearts and joyful spirit. Alleluia. Amen. Thanks for helping me preach. May it be so. Amen.